0: Welcome, welcome, welcome to armchair expert. Experts on expert. I'm Dak Shepherd. I'm joined by Monica Padman. That's me. Yes. Welcome. Welcome. I'm detecting your lies already. <laughs> You're not here.
1: <gasps> oh my God. You're elsewhere. What am I lying about right now?
0: Oh. I'm thinking about something that's a lie. Okay. You're thinking currently about a lie. Mm-hmm. You don't have a headache.
1: <gasps> that's close. Is it? It was I don't want sugar fish. Okay. But it was still I don't.
0: Yes. Wow. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, great. So it didn't really work, but it worked. <laughs> the reason we're on high alert for deception and lies is because our guest today, David J. Lieberman, is a psychotherapist and bestselling author who specializes in the fields of human behavior and interpersonal relationships. He has trained personnel in the U.S. military, the FBI, the CIA, and the NSA. And his current book that he's here to talk about is Mind Reader. The new science of deciphering what people really think, what they really want, and who they really are.
1: Mm, Juicy. Okay, tell people about your shirt.
0: I think the beginning of this episode is potentially confusing because what's happening physically in the room is I've gotten upstairs. I was in a big, big hurry, and it was pointed out to me on my walk up by my daughter that my shirt was inside out. And then I walked in and you immediately pointed that out. So I was like, I got to get this shirt right side, whatever, out. And so I took my shirt off immediately, right after I met him, and was in the process of getting it corrected. (laughs)
1: In front of him? I mean, you just like took off your shirt. Because he's a guy. Yeah. I felt like I didn't change my underwear (laughs) in front
0: of him. It wasn't that sexual. Yeah. If he had caught me at the beach, he would have seen the same show. Yeah. So that's what's happening at the top of this. Yes. Please enjoy David J. Lieberman we are supported by squarespace guys we have a squarespace website that's just gorgeous that wabi-wabi you uh you built that yourself using all the templates yeah i sure did yeah easy peasy so easy Head to squarespace.com for a free trial and save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with the code DAX. If you listen for a while, AG1 shouldn't be new to you. What's not new to me, I've been a fan for over six years. I have it every morning. I had it this morning. But if you haven't tried it yet, seriously, it's such an easy way to improve your health. It replaces multiple health supplements like multivitamins, digestive aids, immune support, and more in just one simple scoop. In 60 seconds... I know I'm covering my nutritional bases and setting myself up for success to tackle the day. And for how simple it is, it's crazy what a difference it makes. It's full of prebiotics for my gut, vitamin B to keep my energy up, magnesium for my stress levels. I could keep listing ingredients and benefits all day, but you just need to know it works. So I've partnered with AG1 for so long because they make such a high-quality product that I genuinely look forward to drinking every day. If you want to find out your newest healthy habit, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3 plus K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase at drinkag1.com dax. That's drinkag1.com dax. Check it out. He's an objector.
1: About to tell you that. You were too. But also, then I didn't know if I every should.
0: I was extra. <laughs> yeah. You know it doesn't do much. Luckily for you, <laughs> for you, I could see how you know someone might enjoy it. <laughs> Luckily for you, usually it's my pants that are. <laughs> 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 uh, <laughs> Monica, what if this was all a ruse to try to throw the- You did on purpose so that you <laughs> yeah. could take off like your I'm shirt trying to, um,
1: I kind of thought that
0: Convey to him that I'm absent-minded oh. and bumbling oh. As part of my ploy to deceive him
1: Oh, I thought you meant just so you could take your shirt off It was oh, no, no, no. inside out on purpose
0: No, because David's book is Mind Reader That was very clever of you <laughs> Well, look, it, it wasn't calculated, but it also is abnormal that. for what I do. So I could sell it as it was a whole ploy to deceive you. Retroactively. Well, just yeah. good luck when, with that. When you, first, when you meet a man, he's spilling coffee as he walks in and then he shakes your hand and he pulls his shirt off because it's inside out and then puts it on correctly. There's a lot of info there, right? If that was my consistent behavior, what would you glean from that? Yeah. You might have a couple of things to work through. <laughs>
1: sure,
2: sure. You know, time man, management. Time management mm-hmm. yeah. for starters. But also, you know, it shows a degree of confidence. People who are not confident are going to want to present the most polished, professional image. The Portrait they present is not so much a disguise as it is really a self-portrait, because how you choose to present yourself really reveals what it is that you may be insecure about or how mm. you want other people to see you. So you obviously have no compunction or reservation or hesitation about showing that more charismatic, confident, freewheeling, flawed, messy uh-huh, yeah, yeah. Side. <laughs> but there's an incredible authenticity to that. You may be different things. Yeah.
0: Fake is not one of them. Oh, okay. I think
1: that's that's I, I, accurate. That's I pretty dig dead that. On. That was very
0: quick. That was a thin slice because we've known each other for forty-five oh my God, seconds. He
1: already nailed you.
0: But I remember learning this in a communications class. In fact, a lot of this stuff in your book it triggered my memory of communications: the interpersonal versus the presenting self. So, what you were talking about—the facade—is so often people's presenting self is incongruous with their internal self.
2: That's right. You've got the real, genuine self. We'll say self esteem. Mm-hmm. The degree to which a person doesn't like themselves, it's like a seesaw. The ego now is going to engage to compensate for feelings of guilt, inferiority, shame, insecurity, and so on. So, the bigger the ego, the more the mask, the more egocentric, obviously, going to become, mm-hmm. and the less healthy they are. People often conflate uh, the two and they say, you have to have, you know, a big ego. They don't really understand the psychology here. Big ego means that you don't like yourself, you're compensating. Yeah. Yeah. A person who genuinely likes themselves has humility. The opposite of humility is arrogance. And that's what the ego does. It puts on this arrogant facade in
0: order to show the world what the person is not, but how they want desperately to be seen. There's a documentary currently on HBO about this anarchist movement in Acapulco. It's fascinating on a lot of levels, but there's also a conference that started there. And then all these people who go to the conference end up staying, and it becomes this kind of anarchist community within Acapulco. And then some guy is attracted, as you would imagine, to this movement who was ex-military and they're detailing him and they're showing images from his Facebook. And it was so crystal clear to me. Every single photo, he's holding a machine gun. He's hitting a punching bag, mind you, poorly. He can't box, (laughs) but he is trying to imbue on everyone that he can box. And he's very aggro. And I just remembered, I've gone Twice to Afghanistan on USO tours and got to hang out with the actual special forces guys. Those dudes are the most humble. No one's bragging. No one's being mancho. That's right. Everyone there is a stone cold operator. And then so there's zero need. They know in their heart they are. That's right. The confident
2: person doesn't need to tell the world how confident they are. Yeah. Right. It's the insecure person that has to sell themselves because they're selling you and they're telling themselves a story. And the more you believe it, the more they can believe it themselves.
0: While I was watching, I had this fantasy of some macro study where they charted and plotted bravado on the actual ranks within the military, because that's such a good metric, right? Like an entry-level person through boot camp, someone that's in the Marines, then you would have someone that's, you know, because there's an echelon. And it would be interesting if you could detail and make metrics out of bravado and just chart it against that. And then maybe present it to young men and go, just so you know, when you display this, you're saying the
2: opposite. That's right. And so interesting in reading somebody, we know that the harder a person tries to sell you of something most likely belies a insecurity. And egocentricity takes many forms. It's not just about being the loud, obnoxious, arrogant person. An egocentric person is going to give themselves away in a lot of subtle ways. And if you pay attention to these cues, it becomes patently obvious who has confidence, who doesn't, who really likes themselves. Obviously, very effective and valuable if you're dating or you're hiring somebody.
1: How often does it work, though?
2: Here's the thing. We like people who are confident evidence. A confidence that emanates from an authenticity, that's what we connect with. You've got sort of two souls. But when a person is egocentric, the ego literally blocks this. You ever look at somebody and it's like, they come across with such bravado, such confidence. I mean, we're in LA, so ground zero, but there's no connection. You don't really like the person. Real charisma comes from helping people to see their own greatness, not yours. It comes from allowing a connection. And if I'm so self-absorbed, if I'm consumed with myself, my own wants, my needs, my ideology, my philosophy, there is no connection. So you may think I'm great, but you want nothing to do with me.
0: You can also almost, and Rob, I don't know what happened to my own level, but it seems to me just a notch lower than it normally is. You can distill it ultimately just straight down to safety. So I'm um, a little lower. Sorry, we don't, okay. I have my shirt on backwards, and now I'm adjusting <laughs> our mics, which we don't have to do normally. Oh, but, good
1: job! Did you text Rob before i fuck That's up my the mic.
0: I've been um, planning this for months. <laughs> <laughs> safety for me, is what it's all about. So when I see someone that's projecting mass bravado, Mm -hmm. what I detect is, okay, they're pretty insecure. And now anything's on the table because to maintain the bravado and the image, bad calculated moves are on the horizon. I think that's what we primitively take on that we don't even know we're taking on. It's just like, oh, this person's dangerous because they're selling a story that's not authentic and they'll try anything to support it.
2: That's right. In much the same way that we seek to protect our physical selves, we protect our emotional selves. And a person who is coming across in that way, we cannot let our guard down until we feel safe. I mean, that much makes sense. Egocentricity characterizes somebody who is. Emotionally unwell. Just in broad strokes, it's like this perspective is synonymous with sanity, my ability to see, accept, and respond to my world. That's what it means to be sane. It's the ego that blocks perspective. The more egocentric a person is, the more they consume with themselves. You can't see, I can't look at you because I'm busy judging, condemning, labeling, categorizing, because my ego needs to feel safe. So the more boxes I can put you into, the safer I feel. The paradox, or the irony really, is that I am not seeing, I'm becoming less healthy because genuine observation without judgment, that allows for us to see, accept, and respond to our world. That's what it means to have perspective. So the more judgmental a person is, the more egocentric they are, the more they need to label, to characterize, the more they can't be wrong. We all know people like this, they dig yeah. their heels and You could show them the dictionary and they'll say the dictionary is wrong. They're a delight to play games with. We've had world leaders like this. That's right, because any Sign that they are not perfect scares
0: them. Well, and then sadly, and here's where I have empathy, really means no one will love them. It's so so hard to like that person, but truly, they need it the most. That's right. The
2: people who make it hardest to love sometimes need it the most. Yeah. Oh, it's brutal.
0: Yeah. They're the hardest. I always bring up the example of the dude in the jacked up truck with the ball sack hanging off the back (laughs) and he's yelling at someone out the window and he's vaping and I go, that guy wants love
2: so much. I tell that to my kids in a different version, by the way, (laughs) all the time.
0: They all know this say someone
2: didn't get enough attention when they were growing yeah. up. See, if you've got that type of truck or that type of thing, there's nothing innately wrong with it as long as there's an authenticity that this is what I like rather than this is what you will like me for. Yes. Yeah. yes the yes, difference yes, is yes. important.
1: Is it good to try to give those people love, give those people attention or distance and boundaries and I can't?
2: Of course we should empathize. And by the way, empathy is not sympathy. Empathy is your pain is my pain. Sympathy is stinks to be you. Right. I'm going to go back to my Frosted Flakes and newspaper and try and get you out of my head. Now, in order to really empathize with somebody, it requires us to move our own selves out of the way. If I'm too consumed with me, I can't empathize with you. I can't connect with you. I can't feel your pain when I'm absorbed in my own, which is why the egocentric person is a very hard, is that caviar?
0: I wish. Oh, it's That's uh, probably tobacco. less lethal. <laughs> uh, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows, though? I don't know if there's any long-term studies on caviar consumption. This is authenticity but this is, right here. <laughs> this is chewing tobacco. <laughs> of all the things. Yeah. Okay, you have a Yamacon Yeah. I'm a hillbilly. This is to be the most <laughs> abstract thing. For me, everyone I grew up with does this. Probably no one in your childhood circle was doing this. I think in most childhood circles, <laughs> people <laughs> were not in an interview chewing yeah. on tobacco. You don't have a ton of firsthand experience watching a dude load up his lip with tobacco. Is that fair to say? Who does? Back to the USO tour. Half the GIs are fair dipping. Fair enough. In
2: truth, the only other person that did this was Joan Rivers.
0: Oh, okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> God. Well, by the I way, if really there anyone I would believe,
2: it would be her. Did her show about 25 years ago. Obviously, before she I don't know why people say that. Of course, it's before she died. So it was she, died. <laughs> she was fantastic, by the way. Gosh, when she lets loose, mm-hmm. she's uh, up there with Gilbert Gottfried. You're only bringing
0: up people who passed. Yeah. yeah. Well, will <laughs> earmark this. We'll try to get someone you love that's
2: still alive. <laughs> Just to round out Monica's very good question. In order to have empathy, of course, you've got to move out of your own stuff, which makes it harder for that person, which is why these relationships seem very one-sided. It's like I give and give and give to this guy. It's not that they're not motivated. They're not capable. So of course you want to give to them. At the same time, boundaries are necessary to preserve our emotional health. If there's one takeaway from here, other than to buy mind reader, yeah. it is <laughs> boundaries are not meant to keep people out. They are meant to define our personal sense of space, responsibility, and obligation. The healthiest relationships require boundaries, yeah. right? And Who would have a bathroom without a bathroom door, for example? Us. Yes, I know. <laughs> you. My gosh, oh, yes.
0: God, there's layers here. With, I know. Yeah. What one's interesting you the most at this moment? It's still the tobacco, right? Is it making uh, no, you no, nauseous? Because I could switch no, to another no, nicotine but, but it, it, form. From
2: the at least in the Western movies, there's a spittoon. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah Where yeah. is yours? That's right his. Here, right here. Oh, but I've yeah. yeah. (laughs) so that's bumming you out. What I'm trying to do as an act of courtesy is at least it's in a non-see-through container. Yeah, I
1: appreciate that.
0: You know what I'm saying? Like you would never have to observe the the tobacco. You're a classy guy, (laughs) clearly. You wouldn't be (laughs) spitting into something translucent. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so first and foremost, the book is called Mind Reader, the new science of deciphering what people really think, what they really want, and who they really are. And you're a doctor. I'd love to know what your educational background is that brought you to this specialty.
2: In broad strokes, I've always been interested, motivated to help people, to understand people. We all have our innate drives, things that we just grow up fascinated by. Mine is just people. I just always been fascinated by people. And when I went to school for psychology, it wasn't even so much to do therapy, although I do that and I love the value of the one-on-one and helping people in the relationships. But really what shifted it for me was that I found that no matter how much people worked on themselves, no matter how many self-help, Books that they read, no the matter any podcasts they listen to, if there were other people out there who were taking advantage of them, manipulating them, lying to them, cheating on them, it's very hard to move forward in life. Trust, as you well know, is essential to every relationship to trust ourselves, to trust others. So, regardless of our childhood, our experiences, trauma, calamities, tragedies, whatever it is, if I'm moving today in a world where I cannot trust the people around me, I'm not going to be able to optimize my potential. So I shifted in my writing. I began working with law enforcement in terms of interview, interrogation, and reading people. You talk to NSA. You talk to CIA. Yeah, yeah, you talk yeah. to
0: military branches. How does an organization like that right. decide? Well, this right. is a person I'm going to trust.
2: Go back about 25 years ago. I had written one book already, and I'd been developing these techniques on reading people and understanding. You're more sophisticated than body language, which, by the way, just doesn't work
0: period you give the example okay crossed arms that's an axiom we use that person shut off well, what if it's cold in the room what if there's no arms on the chairs yeah. there you go
2: so look if you're dealing with an unsophisticated liar okay fine he's scratching his nose crossing his
0: arms looks away fair enough but it's not going to work with the really bad guys you need something more sophisticated this is what i hate about most self-help books about most parenting books most everything that is a binary proposition which is you have children how fucking different are they and how much did you have to change how you raise each one of them. So the notion right. that people cross their arms. Okay, well, now you're saying a statement about all people, and I just have two of them in my house, and they're opposites. So you couldn't make one statement that would hold true for both of them, other than they need to eat. That's right. (laughs) So yeah, just too broad, in my
2: opinion. It is. There are plenty of books on body language, and why it's become a staple, by the way, is because it's very easy. You can explain it to somebody, but of course, we're talking about it. The bad guys already know this. If I want to sell you something that's not good for
0: you, I'm not going to cross my arms. I'm going to look you in the eye. I naturally will cross my arms. Right long, I'm tall, whatever the case is. And I literally go, don't cross them because you're an open person. I'm actually responding to exactly as you said. That's right. That's I don't right. want to come across as a closed person. And then I also think, oh, maybe I am reverse engineering. Maybe this does open me up in some weird way. It does, because there's a whole field called
2: embodied cognition, which is where body language comes in, and there is some degree of It can efficacy. work backwards, right? That's right. Yeah. And the studies show, by the way, if you've got an expansive pose, not only does it reflect somebody who may be more relaxed and calm, but it can also make you feel more relaxed and calm. And you're sending a message to your brain, I must be confident. In communications, body language does play a role insofar as if you're speaking with somebody who you want to have a better relationship with, crossing your arms is not going to be productive because it sends that message, I'm being standoffish, I'm not that interested. And to ourselves, it sort of can make us feel less open to the experience. Right. So I put together a number of techniques and strategies. And again, we're going back 25 years ago. So there's no internet. I pick up the phone, I call the CIA. Why not? That went well. Uh
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> <I'm a worm. laughs> <laughs> Click, call back again. It's like, Mr. Lieberman, if you call another time, you're going to be put on a list. Sure, sure, I didn't know sure. what that <laughs> list was. I didn't want to be put on yeah. any list. So, fast forward a couple of years, and I write this book, Online Detect, called Never Be Lied to Again. It was the first book that showed for the layperson person how to tell if somebody's lying without relying on body language and a lot of the things that law enforcement was using. I get a call from the director of the Behavioral Science Unit of the FBI. This is over the summer. He said, we're familiar with your work. We'd like you to come down and to do a training and see how it goes. I was busy writing on the book. I was teaching. I was just busy with a lot of stuff. And I wasn't thinking clearly in fairness because I said no. I say no. And he says as follows. He says, Dr. Lieberman, your country needs you. Oh, wow. And I said, yeah. I said, you guys really say that? <laughs> right, I've <laughs> seen it in movies. Yeah. <laughs> I said, look, I think the country's going to survive. This you is know? like 98? Yeah, and then I caught myself. I said, no, of course. And that began a career in working with different branches, not just in federal, but also at state level.
0: And as you had success or people liked about it, they told other people they were hanging with at Langley and this and that, and it just word of mouthy kind yeah, of got to where NSA and CIA. Word of mouth and also... Being good, in other words, if yeah. you've got somebody who went through the training and now
2: they're that much more effective, you know, I want some of that, you know, whatever that is. Of course. And the best part about it is that even though the development of the techniques obviously took decades, applying them, using them can be done by an eighth grader. They're sophisticated in terms of the psychology, but they're really just darn easy
0: to use, which is what makes them so accessible to everybody and why you can write it in a book. So I can't imagine you have an interest in this for no other reason than you have an interest in it. I have to imagine in your childhood someone was either very deceptive around you or you didn't feel like you were being told the truth or you moved through a world where you felt deceived. I would go into what you're into, but I have had a very chaotic traumatic childhood with lots of stepdads. I am hyper aware of everyone's intention and reading people and making sure I feel safe by knowing where they're coming from. I've yet to meet someone that's like me that didn't have some similar background. Yeah, I'm shaking my head in lots of
2: directions as you're speaking because I never would have thought that until probably, and I like to think of myself as a fairly introspective guy, probably about five, six years ago, somebody said, have you ever looked at the titles of your books? Never be lied to again, get anyone to do anything. For somebody who considers themselves an expert on reading people, my lack of introspection was Uh startling. No, my childhood was fairly typical, but I always tell this to parents, you know, they got a couple different kids. I've done the same thing with all the kids. Why is it one does this and one turns out this way? Because they're not cookie cutter. So children, as adults, we have different sensitivities, vulnerabilities and needs. So you can grow up in the same house with your experiences and one will be like a weeble wobble. Remember those? Bounce back up. Others will digest it. But those experiences, they've shaped who you are. You would not be the person you are, the interview you are, the talent you are, if you weren't spending your time trying to understand people.
0: And by the way, great outcome, but not a great kernel of why. Do you have an older brother or sister? yeah what's the age difference so he actually died about a
2: year ago due to covid okay uh, but he was three and a half I'm years to older. Hear that? thank
0: you so i have a younger kid i was a younger sibling i hated being left out not getting what everyone was getting i wanted to prove i was as old as him at all times yeah, and as, that's as typical. savvy yeah, right yeah 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 and so i was sprinting to be in on everything sure and uh, you still are yes of course yeah, you just keep moving up the ladder of what other older brother now fills that role.
2: Right. I mean, if you want to get sort of spiritual for yeah, a moment, yeah, yeah. we're all here for a reason. There are different experiences we're going to have in our lives that are needed for our good and for our growth. Let me ask you this question, by the way, before we get to the why. Yeah. Would you trade aspects of your childhood if you weren't the person you were today? Would you trade what you've learned, even as painful and as devastating, traumatic as it was, would you say, I'll pass? Or would you take it? Yeah, I would take all of it. I'm like at peace with my trauma. I'm
0: grateful for my trauma. That's
2: just it. You can appreciate that not only are you grateful, but we could say then you might even choose it your own sensitivity and empathy allowed for you to absorb more of the pain growing up than somebody else, maybe your your older sibling, but at the same time,
0: it's what allows you to utilize it in a certain way. The thing your book addresses and the thing that I'm consumed with is I feel best when I know why somebody would want to study this. I feel like I have the whole picture. Yeah. there will be an area of this, I think, as we get deep in the weeds in it, where I'll have a philosophical question for you and maybe we'll differ on it, which is I often assess people's agenda and it doesn't bother me. I can live with their agenda. I can live with what they want. I can live with these things. They're not going to actually impact me. I see them, it's fine, but I need to know what it is. I actually can feel safe as long as I know what it is. When I can't feel safe is if I don't know what it is. So That's when I think I'd get blindsided. So
2: I would suggest you are letting your ego dictate your thinking. You mentioned the 12 steps. They all have a single thread in common. Get rid of the ego, Mm -hmm. recognizing a higher power, apologizing, forgiving. They all have that common thread of getting rid of the ego so that authenticity comes through. So your ego is telling you, unless I know your story, unless I know who you are, what you are, I can't feel safe. That's a lie. The the truth is you don't need to know somebody
0: else's who they are, where they are, why they are
2: in order for you to be safe. You're already
0: safe. Yes, I agree with you. But now we're going to differentiate between my intellectual mind Uh and my emotional state and my arousal state. I can intellectually know exactly what you're saying. I'm 6'2". I'm strong, I'm financially secure, I'm not really vulnerable to a lot. In that I'm safe, I don't need to know that to be safe. Yes, I'm safe, I can protect myself, I can ask people to leave, I can do all those things. But the
2: emotional part- Yes, and that's what trauma therapy does, is if you're seeing the world through the lens of a small child, it doesn't matter how many muscles you have- Right. Which is why you maybe want the muscles, I don't know you, or maybe somebody might want the muscles, it's to feel safe. All these things give you the illusion of security, but that's just it, they're illusions. Sure, until they're not, but they can be for a while. Obviously, make no mistake, you're going to be safer if you are physically stronger, if you have financial wherewithal and so on. Yeah, I can see a doctor when I want. That's right. That's security. But ultimately, the emotional security to know that you're safe, meaning the essence of you is safe, that doesn't require those things. Yeah. And relying on them only fortifies the illusion that it does. Yes. I agree with you.
0: Again, all intellectually. It doesn't mean emotionally. True. That True. has an impact.
2: Well, that's the distance between the heart and the head. And when yeah. you bridge those, that's when we move forward.
0: I'm working towards that, that unification. Though so we didn't really get out of you and I can accept it and I can yeah. move on. I accept the premise
2: that there is a reason why I gravitated to this. Yeah. No doubt. You're right. It's not happenstance. But I've had really, a, maybe you can help me, a hard time really pointing to something that would say, ah, because of X, that's why you went into Y. Because really my interest, my fascination isn't just in the area of reading people and lie detection. It encompasses the scope of
0: human behavior, human nature, why we do the things that we do. Yeah, you have books about how to stay calm and not angry. What I see is someone who has a great desire to have control of their emotions. Like Spock. Right. So I don't know if emotions in others were scary around you as a kid, if your own emotions were scary when you were a kid. I don't know. I love your perception, and it requires more thought than I can give it here. And we can move on to the book, but I just get no, curious, but you know? You yeah, know? It's like, uh, yeah, Get comfortable. Let's say. Uh, we have some mushrooms we're gonna give you to detach your ego. Oh, that's becoming uh, huge, by the way. No, but I have the same interest as you, for me at least. I feel like I have a genesis for all that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I have a genesis, though. Clearly,
2: what it is that I'm not so- uh, Clear. But maybe by the time we're done-
0: We're gonna find out. Yeah. Okay, every single chapter in the book is something that I have thought about at great length. I would say this is something I certainly didn't study, but that maybe through AA, maybe through all the things we just talked about, I'm vastly interested in. So what they really think. Discover what someone really thinks, even thoughts that lie deep in their subconscious mind, no matter what they say or do. I can see where this would be the very first thing we'd wanna ask ourselves. Whether they're saying versus what do they mean, That's right. That's right. Yeah. Why is that the starting point?
2: Because in any conversation, any interaction, whether it's something benign, having a casual conversation with someone in the elevator at the restaurant, or whether you're looking to hire someone, fire somebody, knowing what somebody's really thinking and feeling. And certainly in the therapeutic arena, that's also so valuable. And I do a lot of work also with other therapists insofar as the patient may not be lying to you as much as they are to themselves. So you can have somebody who comes across so authentic, so honest, and you believe,
0: it, except for the fact that they are just selling you a story yeah. because they themselves want to believe it. I clock when people say, I'm the type of person that blanks. That's their pattern of telling you who they are. Yeah. It's like a trigger for me, for good reason, by the way. You know, there's
2: something in the brain called the reticular activating system (RAS) for short. It allows for us to hone in in our environment and what's important. Maybe you had the experience of buying a new car or getting a new pair of sneakers or a new something, and you begin to see those on the road, oh, right? Yes. You're getting into ah oh, frequency illusions.
0: Mm-hmm. Our favorite topic. Oh, is that right? We me. talk about a lot. Oh. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Obviously, there aren't more of those created, but as you well know, that's what you're looking for. So when you meet somebody, what they hone in on tells us, it signals to us, what is significant to them. Now, significant doesn't mean that they love it. It could mean something that they fear. But make no mistake, if you ask somebody, describe this person, whether they go with physical characteristics, whether they go with emotional characteristics, whether they go with interaction, social, all of those things. Financial. That's right. Mm-hmm. They signal what they up. value. Right. Now, I will tell you, you've brought up finances three different times oh, at, at yeah. different points. Yeah. So it's clear now in the scope of our conversation, in addition to a couple of other nice ditties, yeah. is that financial. Security is something to you that is very, very important.
0: Enormously, if you look at my four-step in AA and you see the things that trigger me, I have three main fears and financial insecurity is like at the height of that.
2: Right, because it was injected into the conversation as other things were, which is why you're able to build a profile of somebody. This book is not so that you can manipulate other people or sell them something they don't need. Mm -hmm. It's so that you can understand your loved ones better, have better relationships. If you're in a relationship with somebody and they keep on saying, this isn't important to me, and yet, there are so many signs and signals that it is, Yeah. then you can improve that relationship. You can improve that communication. You can improve that conversation.
0: Well, in its purest goal, I think it would be what you brought up earlier, which is to have an accurate perception. Yes. Just start with the goal of having an accurate perception of everything around you. It all starts with perspective. The clearer our perspective,
2: the more reality we let in. When a person's perspective is narrow or confined because of their own egocentricity, they're not seeing what is, they're seeing a projection of their own needs, their wants their insecurity. They're not able to have relationship. Egocentric people have a hard time connecting for that reason, because I can't focus on you if I'm absorbed in me.
0: Yeah. Who does the person, quote, hate? I think that's an enormous clue. There's a lot of data right there. If someone's talking shit about someone, I think they're either very jealous of what that person has or they have what the person you're talking to fears they can't get.
2: I always tell people in general relationships in the therapeutic setting, if someone doesn't like you, it's because of one or two reasons. Either you've done something to offend them or they're jealous of you. Otherwise mm-hmm. you wouldn't get on their radar. So no doubt. What's interesting with the research shows is that you can learn a lot about somebody by the degree to which they dislike other people. We all know that person, maybe we know more than one, who hates the world. This guy's this, this corrupt, this that. You learn a wealth, not about the world and about the people he's talking about, but about that person. The research shows that the more benignly, the more confident, kindly we judge other people the more emotionally healthy we are that Mm. is immutable
0: yeah i had a good friend who pointed out to me i think he was subtly trying to correct this behavior in me which he was impactful in he said when someone's telling me something negative about another person it tells me much more about them than the other person that's right and i was like oh fuck that's kind of true huh and i'm telling a lot about myself when i am talking negatively about other people i'm afraid so yeah (laughs) I caught myself on a set one time. That principle became clear to me. I had gotten to work. there was a big cast, 14 people. And I said, oh, let me guess, she's running 15 minutes late. And people laughed, and we're all in on that. And then 20 minutes later, I'm like, why do I do that? Why do I point that out? And I thought... Oh, it's because I'm on time. I'm only in a position to make that joke if I myself am on time. So really I'm bragging about the fact that I'm punctual. That's why I've done it. That was a reverse way or a subversive way for me to give myself a compliment in front of everyone. And that's not something I would aspire to be. Someone that comes in and goes, I'm always on time. I would never make that statement. That would be too plainly and obviously egotistical. But I figured out how to subversively give myself compliments by pointing out what other people do wrong.
2: But also there's what to be said for for levity and lighthearted humor. And I don't think you have to beat yourself up for
0: every comment that's not completely benign and innocent. I agree, but I want minimally to know why I do things. Fair enough. I just recognize, okay, so when I do that, I've got to at least be honest about the fact that I'm trying to elevate myself and point out that I don't have that character defect or I wouldn't be in a position to be doing it. I want to clock it and I want to monitor it and see how much I'm doing that. Very nice. Yeah. Stay tuned for more Armchair expert if you dare. We are supported by Squarespace. Guys, we have a Squarespace website that it's just gorgeous. That Wobby Wob, you uh, you built that yourself using all the templates, yeah? I sure did. Yeah, easy peasy. So easy. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial and save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with the code DAX. We are supported by ZipRecruiter. Are there some fantastic concerts coming to your city this summer? Mine too. In fact, Anderson PAX playing at the Hollywood Bowl. I can't wait for
1: it. Ooh, that's exciting.
0: Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com/dax today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp h e l p.com/dax.
1: It is important, though, to remember that there are two options, because I think if you start thinking everyone who's upset is jealous, that contributes to an ego because it could be something you've done. You're right.
2: It's too easy to say and recuse ourselves of responsibility and say, this person's just jealous of me or they're envious of something when really we've got to look in the mirror and ask ourselves what it is that I might have done to contribute to this. Just because we don't think we did something wrong doesn't mean we didn't do something wrong. All it means is we didn't think we did something wrong. Even objectively, someone else might say it's not wrong, but to this person, it was insensitive because of their own vulnerabilities and sensitivities.
0: Yeah, it's a very fine line, right? It's the line between when you're in a relationship being vulnerable and being needy. There's a little line there and you gotta stay on the right side of it, which is important. A healthy position is, well, that's their issue, how they responded to it, which often is true. And then on the other side of the line is, no, you're an asshole and anyone would be objectively upset by that. True. You gotta learn to kind of identify where that. where that. that little line is, would you agree? I would, but why do you equate vulnerability with neediness? Vulnerability is I feel lonely. Lack of vulnerability would be you're on your phone too much. You need to manage your time better. Why would you be on your phone in bed? I would love your attention is vulnerable. Attacking your use of a phone in bed is not vulnerable. What you're really asking for is your partner's attention, but attacking whether or not they should theoretically be using a phone in bed is a lack of vulnerability. Yes. I would love your attention, is nice, it's vulnerable. But I would love your attention twenty four seven. that's neediness. There's this spectrum. I think the art of life is learning to land in the right spot of the spectrum. So there's vulnerability, and then on the far end of vulnerability is neediness, and you need to regulate my emotions for me at all times. Right,
2: if the vulnerability is born out of an insecurity that's insatiable, then... Exactly,
0: in learning when you've stepped over into your insatiable, whatever, and when you have a reasonable request of a partner's time and attention. Yes. Similarly, I think what you're saying is really accurate. When are you being healthy and saying, that's likely their issue, Also, oh, well, a lot of people seem to have this around me. That's right, that's right. (laughs) You know, maybe it's pointing to, it's not everyone else's issue. It's hard to delineate.
2: That's what the ego does though. It makes everything somebody else's problem. I'll never look in the mirror because everyone else is the cause, the blame, they're responsible. And the ability to be able for me to love myself and have high self-esteem, which again is a converse of the ego, means then that I can look in the mirror and ask myself, what am I doing wrong? What am I doing that may be contributing to the deterioration of this conversation or relationship? But as long as my ego is engaged, I'm too busy defending myself, too busy fortifying my position and trying to not feel like I'm less than, which would make me less worthy, Mm -hmm. which is my greatest fear of disconnection.
0: Yeah. I sometimes will be talking to friends who are dating someone new. And I've had this experience. If you're dating someone and you're learning about all their past relationships and you hear about five ex-boyfriends or five ex-girlfriends, and all five is what that person did and why they were shitty. And there's no, I sucked at this part of this relationship. To me, that's a red flag. I would be inclined to say this person's probably not going to ever work on themselves as part of the relationship. So I just think of your standing diatribe about your exes are all the reasons they were bad as opposed to why you both weren't a good fit and what you didn't do mutually. That's I'd right. be scared a little bit. This comes
2: up in corporations and hiring. When I do trainings, that's one of the red flags I even speak about is that if you've got a prospective employee who's blaming everyone for why it is that the job didn't work out at the past three jobs, he may not be the best candidate for you
0: right 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 okay how a person sees and feels about other people Find out how a person really feels about those in their life, whom they feel close to, whom they admire and whom they secretly despise. I guess we just kind of talked about that a little bit. I think who they admire is really interesting. It is, that sort of shows us the traits and the characteristics that they value
2: and they're important to them, which again, gives us an incredible window into what makes this person tick. Not just their state, how they're feeling in the moment, but also goes to their overall personality traits, their
0: values, their beliefs, their attitudes. Who do you admire? People who work on themselves. Uh-huh. Monica, who do yeah, you admire Yeah, that's most? a great one. The Olsen twins.
1: I love those <laughs> twins Style yeah, yeah, yeah. icons. I do because they are self-starters. They work hard. I admire people like that. And people who stick up for underdogs.
0: Beautiful. Didn't you date an Olsen twin? I did. Yeah, it's on the wall next to you. Comes up all the time because Monica's obsessed uh, with yeah, them, I and love them. even though she's an ex-girlfriend, I can, we can't get her on the show. I mean, granted, <laughs> another thing you can probably admire about her: no desire to be on a show. Yeah, I do. It's kind of gangster. She doesn't need approval. It imbues some confidence, yeah. right? And who do you admire? Recently, George Washington. I just read a biography about George Washington. And I bring up people who have passed. <laughs> That's, yeah, true, true, true. I tend to like focus on people who have something that I currently am aspiring to. And George Washington had a quiet confidence, no need to prove he was the smartest guy in the room, just that inner confidence. I'm too finding this fine line between I know what my job is and I know what my appeal is, and I also don't want to cross into steamrolling and trying endlessly to impress people. I want to keep the good side of the sword. And then I just want to know when I'm dipping into the egomaniacal, endless fucking well I'm trying to fill up with approval. And so George Washington seems to have had that compass in the ability to just shut the fuck up. And then... The result was his actions said everything that needed to be said.
2: Interesting. We could say that maybe about a lot of great leaders who get other people to believe themselves rather than believe in me. I help you to believe in yourself. That's somebody who makes us want to be better and work.
0: I think there's a lot of concepts that end up getting labeled that people know intimately, but they wouldn't be able to put a name to it. Bader Meinhof. Everyone's gotten a car and been like, oh, fuck, everyone drives a VW Beetle. (laughs) Everyone has had that. And they also on some level know, well, they didn't sell more yesterday. And similarly, you know, this Dunning-Kruger principle, the Dunning-Kruger effect. Have you ever heard this? No. It's fantastic. I got to learn who did this paper because we talk about it so much. But it is in general a little bit of a social science law that whoever knows the least about a topic generally will talk the most. (laughs) about it, right? It's the guy who knows least about football in the circle, watching football, will tell you everything he knows because he's insecure that everyone else knows more, right? It's a neat rule, the Dunning-Kruger effect. And so (laughs) I think on some level, we all have A, been guilty of it, we've observed it so much, so, when someone presents themselves like Grant, like George Washington, who's not spouting off everything they know, we intrinsically know that they actually know. And so we trust them and we want to be led by them. That goes to what we said before in terms of a confident person
2: doesn't need to tell the world how great they are. Yeah. They can find out for themselves. Okay.
0: Learn how to tell if in any conversation, interaction, or new relationship is going your way or the other way. Is the person just being polite or are they genuinely interested and engaged? This is. Crucial. This is that book. He's just not that into you. Oh, yeah. Right. And
1: movie. Hollywood blockbuster.
0: Yes. You know of that book? I do. Okay, walk us through this, because I think people are not good at recognizing when they're being placated or not. Yes. I feel bad for them. And yet it sometimes works out for them. I don't know. Everything we're describing, by the way, I will counter with my wife is the opposite. She doesn't worry about anyone's intentions. She doesn't think anyone's ever deceiving her. And through some magic, that's nothing but benefited her. Yes. I'm protecting myself. You literally
1: just said yesterday she got taken advantage of by her business manager.
0: She did, but it didn't matter. This guy stole whatever he stole, but her overall relationship with money was like it comes, it goes, I don't give a fuck. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I strangleholded money for so long. And then I let it go. And then all this money came that I would have never thought I could have gotten.
2: That's abundance versus scarcity mentality. Right.
0: I pointed out like, you know, he's ripping you. This gardener should be charged. And she's like, oh, okay, well, I'll get a new one. No personal, didn't destroy her ego like it would have mine. She didn't go like, oh my God, I was deceived. I'm so stupid. I knew this was gonna happen. It's gonna happen over and over again, my story. It happened, but it had no impact. So anyways, I just like to counter with her always. She's a great control group for me in my disposition.
2: Sure, but what you just said is so interesting is that it happened, but it doesn't matter. That's just it. Things happen all the time, but it's the meaning we attach to it that determines how we feel. And that meaning is based on how we feel about ourselves. It doesn't matter what happens to a large extent, because you have somebody who gets a paper cut, their week is ruined, and everyone around them, their week is ruined. The meaning we attach to it dictates how we're gonna feel about it.
0: Yeah, we love to think that what we care about is objective. We interviewed Seth Rogan, and it was really awesome. I don't know how it came up, but it was about him having a manager and a business manager, all these things, and a lawyer, da, da da And I said, you think any of these folks are stealing from you? And he goes, <laughs> because I have plenty of money I don't give a fuck. <laughs> and I was yeah, like, yeah. I believe him. Yeah. What a wonderful way to be marching through life. He's like generating enough stuff. He's not even worried about it. It's not worth his energy or mental capacity to even care.
1: There was He's some... not measuring his worth on how much money is currently in his bank.
0: Nor right. is his defining characteristic is that he won't be screwed. And then so all mm-hmm. he does is look for people trying to screw him and he ruins his time on planet Earth because he's on high alert for people trying to screw him. Right. I right. mean, right.
2: You see how well your wife's mindset it benefits her because all her emotional strength isn't spent. The capital is not spent on all these crazy stuff, which, quite frankly, are never going to happen anyway. Our lives are filled with traumas that never actually happen, except up there.
0: Yes. How do people on a date, if they haven't been forced to, how are they to pick up? on politeness versus interest.
2: Right, so we all know people like that who just can't recognize any social cues. You're talking to them at a party and you begin to turn away. It's like, all right, all right then, all right. I'll let you go on the phone, right? It's like, no, yeah. you don't have to let me go, I'm fine. I think ah. it's a
0: Seinfeld thing, it's like, Okay, then. When (laughs) when people hear okay then and doesn't clue them that that was it. (laughs) Yeah, so
2: there are people who are socially unaware and they don't pick up on any of these, but certainly there are a lot of language markers to pay attention to. The most basic is lack of follow-through in a conversation. When you get monosyllabic responses, I mean, I'm sure you've been speaking with people and you just want to be polite and not walk away, but you're not really going to give a flowery, over-the-top answer and ask them anything back, Right. right? The conversation will be very lopsided. If you pay attention to it, it'll be glaringly obvious. The more we sort of pick up on other people's sentences, the greater the rapport is. For example, you're talking to somebody, it's crowded in here. Yeah, it sure is, it's hot. Where are you coming from work? Oh, you work over there. And they sort of just like, it's an ebb and a flow. Whereas if you're talking to somebody and they're not that interested, you're gonna get a lot of sort of concrete nouns back and you're not going to get any of those ellipses, sort of pick up on the conversations.
1: Mm.
0: Right, like cul-de-sac, someone said. This conversation's oh. a oh, cul-de-sac, yeah, yeah, cul-de-sac yeah, remember? Yeah, yeah. Conversational we cul-de-sac, We just learned yeah. it. I I guess in improv comedy we'd say is it yes anding or is it just like that's right that is on 52nd and 8th. right i'm always kind of shocked with a friend will be like i don't know if this person's interest in me here's this text and i sent this text there's so much info in texting how quickly they get back to you how long was the text back to me that might be easier for people to see because it's so stark your bubbles four inches long yeah theirs is one mm. inch
1: it's also hard to tell people are
0: playing games, playing hard to get.
1: There's so many factors.
2: Yeah, so I think you're both right here. There is a wealth of information, but one of the reasons why the book had gotten so much attention is because it doesn't rely on one-trick ponies, like look at the length of the text or look at how many times they say I or me because there are so many layers and so many factors. Maybe he was on a bus, in a rush, maybe he was driving, texting. You don't know. What you do know is that you have to look at more than just one or two markers to decide whether or not you're gonna break up with this person or whether you're gonna go out with them. Could we say minimally rule of thumb, the engagement should be back and forth? That would be fair to say on a consistent basis, but there's some people, they're just not texters. Mm-hmm. That's true. They're not into emoticons and they're not into this. Other people are not good on the phone. That's the challenge for somebody who relies too heavily on a soundbite, on reading somebody when really what they need are in a single sentence to look at five, six, seven, eight markers. So let's say you've got two people that are walking out on a first date and the girl casually turns to the guy and says, you know, where'd we park the car? Now, the fact that she says, where do we park the car? We, rather than you, it's a small, shift in the pronoun, oh, wow. but so telling. It's so romantic now that you point that it out. It is nice. Once you begin to see these clues, you can't help but see them all the time. Mm-hmm. You won't have conversations the same way. You'll be listening, but it's so much richer what you're hearing. Now, of course, if the girl says, where'd you park your car? doesn't mean she's not interested. But when she says we, that's a subtle subtext of interest.
0: Right, right, right. Because but I'd like
2: to be a combined unit. That's with right. You. She's already seeing themselves. If you're not interesting somebody, there's no we,
0: there's no us, there's me and there's you. Yes, yes. And hopefully a huge wall between us that's at right. some point. <laughs> okay. This is a great one. You didn't call it this, but chapter four is kind of about leverage, relationship status and power. Who's holding all the cards? And it's not obvious, right? You would think leverage would be determined by other societal status markers, education, money, this or that.
2: Right again, rely on those and you could be making a
0: huge mistake. Why do we need to know who has the leverage? You don't always. It's not necessary,
2: but if you're in what you think is a relationship of colleagues and you note that this person is acting more of a superior and you as a subordinate, that might be something that you pay attention to and certainly a personal relationship if your boyfriend or girlfriend believes that they're holding
0: all the cards. It would make me insecure, minimally, yeah. and then I don't act my mm-hmm. best when I'm insecure and I have a bunch of bad tactics to feel secure. Right. I have many acquaintances who have a ton of leverage. They're super famous. They have a ton of money and they like to exclusively date people who have a one bedroom apartment. It's obvious to me they want someone that's just going to get on the train that is going down the tracks. Is that wrong or right? Is it unhealthy for someone to just want a companion that's just along for the ride? And is it okay to even be a person who wants to just join in someone's Every relationship reaches its own equilibrium. And no matter what the relationship
2: is, you're never going to have a relationship of complete equals. One may be more financially secure, the other may be more attractive, one may be more intelligent, one may be more style. So it's going to be different levels. I think it's ridiculous for me to say that it's unhealthy for somebody to want somebody who's more simple and that they could be the provider and take care of this person. I'm much more interested, does this person
0: respect that person? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I think you need to check yourself if you're attracted to someone who doesn't want to respect you.
2: I would say that that could injure, certainly, an effective relationship if somebody's not respecting you because it says something about both of those people. (laughs) Yes, it means you don't kind of respect yourself. No doubt. And also, there's always something to respect in somebody. There's always something to appreciate. No matter who it is, you can respect their struggle where they came from. I deal a lot with relationships. The person says, I can't respect my spouse because he lost his job. Does he scream and yell at the kids? Does he treat you properly? Does he exercise good manners? Is he a mensch? Is he a decent human being? If you use... As a barometer of respect, something that society says is valuable in mm-hmm. and of itself, that's problematic. So to not respect somebody because they don't have that, it's like not respecting somebody because they're not attractive. Yeah, yeah. And there are people, as you well know, that don't respect somebody because they're not physically attractive. That's insane, but it's also insane to say I don't respect somebody because they don't earn enough money.
0: To me, a complaint can be this person's not engaged in life. They're just lazy across
2: the board. Fair enough, that's but quite he, different. There's
0: a million ways to be on fire for life that don't involve climbing a corporate ladder or making a lot of money. Some of the most ambitious, passionate people work for nonprofits. Mm-hmm. They don't have a dime. I don't get those people, but yes, I can see it <laughs> and I respect it.
1: <laughs> there is something about if you're looking for a partner, potentially you want them to be having nothing to do with money but at a similar place in life that you are at.
2: I would agree. You want somebody who has shared values and beliefs, right? If you're going East, they're going West, you're gonna have a hard time meeting in the middle. But if you've got that foundation of values and beliefs and general attitudes, and this is how you see the world and this is what you want for yourself, regardless of where the person's station is in life, you're gonna have a much better chance of a effective relationship than if they're both equal in terms of their station, financially, let's say. But one believes that... That this is how the world should be, this is how we should be. And they was thinking, No, that doesn't work for me. Every argument is going to stem from that foundation and there are gonna be lots of them.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. Again, I'm inclined to think if it's really important to you that your partner has some financial status or some educational status, what it really says is it's important to you that you have financial status and educational status and that that person's gonna be a reflection of you. So that's really your thing. If you confronted that and you had your own security in all those ways, you probably wouldn't demand it in your partner anymore.
2: This comes up all the time when I work with people who are dating. They say, I need to go out with somebody like this. Now, do you need to date someone like this for you? Because I've had people say, what will they, Think of me if I go out with her, I marry her. Yeah. What are people gonna say? What do they think about you? But she's great, which is such a sad way of going into a relationship. Is you look at this person as a reflection yeah. of yeah. your own self-worth.
0: Right.
1: Okay, I'm gonna poke a hole a little oh, bit. Good. So let's take Los Angeles, where we live. There's a reality to a struggle. Everyone's struggling in some ways, but actors here and musicians, everyone who's trying, and there's a type of life that, that comes with when you're in this struggle and you have to choose if you want to hitch your ride to that.
0: No, but actually, I would argue you're getting into the realness of your objection. So the objection isn't that they're not high status. It's that I don't know if I want to be dating someone who's driving to 25 auditions. That's like a mechanical aspect of a relationship you might not want. And it's not your ego going, I don't like that. I'm with someone who's struggling.
1: That's what I mean. I mean, it's literally the day to day. Do I want to engage day to day with a person who
0: regularly is depressed cons- that they're getting exactly. rejected all There's
1: the a time There's rejection all the time? There's self-worth issues, cons constantly. Is that a relationship I want to engage in?
0: I think that's different than I want someone high status because they reflect on me. Would you agree? Yeah, I hear the difference and I don't disagree
2: with what you said. If certain lifestyles and ambitions come with a package deal, they also have to be a package temperament. If you want more of the accountant style, that's not going to be it for you, which
0: is perfectly legitimate. Again, it's a pretty broad statement because you and I were that way when we were getting rejected all the time. But Kristen wasn't. She was like having a fine time climbing the ladder, right? Right. Like her self-esteem wasn't going in the shitter every time like mine was and yours yeah. was
1: well she was much younger <laughs>
0: well, sure sure but there are people i've observed people that are just kind of like they go on an audition and they're at lunch with their friend that wasn't me right I took this stuff personal and it affected me and it was a grind. But for other people, it seemed to be painless. you got to further delineate if this person's living the struggle you talk about and it's taxing or not. Because some people aren't, even when they're doing the thing.
2: For sure. And once again, it points to your wife's emotional health. Insofar as the smaller the ego, the less consumed we are by the perceptions of other people and the less weight we give it. So when somebody says something not nice to her, she knows... All that means is that what somebody thinks about you is a reflection of their own self-worth, their self-esteem. It doesn't make it about you unless you make it about you. Uh And she's able to depersonalize it because the ego is what makes everything about us. So with less of an ego, you're not taking things up personally.
0: Right. This was an interesting one. Because when I first read the book, I guess because I'm egocentric, I think of mind reader as interpersonal relationships. But obviously the application is in the NSA, it's also as an employer, it's as a parent, as all these things. So as you already learned about me, I'm a greedy little pig and I've negotiations fascinate me. So calling someone's bluff, the art of reading a yeah. bluff and knowing when it's a bluff, How on earth does that happen? Because I think I have a sense of it, but I've never been able to put words to it or really break it down.
2: There are probably dozens of nuances, but in broad strokes, the rule of thumb is that the more a person tries to sell you, the less confident they are in their position. It works the same way in a person's own sense of confidence. Let's say there's a job for a film. This is what you want for it. And it wasn't a matter of negotiation or not. That's what it is you would pretty much have a very, this is what I need. I'm sorry if it doesn't work for you, but in order for me to work and so on, almost conciliatory. Mm -hmm. If you were bluffing, you would be like, this is what I need. Making my case all the time. That's right. You would be trying to fortify your position because you yourself don't believe it. And when you watch for it, it is so glaringly obvious. It's called the oversell. And the more they try to sell you, which is why very often, just parenthetically, a person makes a threat, extortion or bomb threat, whatever it is, threats are often meant as acts of desperation, not intention. Gavin DeBecker actually says that. He's the leading threat assessment expert. Because when a person threatens, they'd rather not do what they're threatening to do. That's why they're making the threat in the first place. Right. Otherwise, they simply
0: do it. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So even though it's scary- yeah, the 9-11 guys th- that's right. didn't make a threat. That's right. They yeah. wanted to do that. So even though it's scary when somebody's, sorry,
2: extort us or blackmail us, the truth is, If they're doing it, it's unlikely that they Mm. plan on following through. There are other markers to look for, by the way, as to whether or not they're sincere, but generally they're threats, again, of desperation, not intention. They don't tell you what the person's going to do. They're telling you that they are desperate for your response, for your action, for you to do something.
0: Yeah let's dig even deeper this happens to people all the time it happened to me the other day we had an employee that wanted more money and i said what would you like she said this and i was like great you deserve that and we'll revisit it again and then i saw maybe panic of like well that went too easy i Ah. should have asked for more Mm -hmm. and then i wanted to say to her like that's not what happened that sounded rational to me the instinct of someone is like i guess i should have gotten more this fear i've left money on the table is powerful
2: Yeah. Look, you know, in any negotiation, you give an offer and they say, okay. You're like, ah, really? (laughs) It's human nature to think that you could have gotten more. Maybe she caught herself and realized that it was very fair, which is why one of the rules of negotiation is even if you're ready to give a quick yes, don't. (laughs) Oh, okay. Tell me why. Let's say you're going out to buy something. You say the salesman could do it for X amount of money. He says, sure. You're like, ah, I definitely could have gotten it for
0: less. Right. So it's for their benefit, I guess. Right.
2: It's that whole hem and hawing, the struggle. He goes back, talks to the sales manager, comes back, talks about. And you're like, ah,
0: I got a deal. Yeah, yeah. But it's all as deception, I guess. But it's required to make the other person feel like they- It's human nature yeah there's kind of a principle in movie negotiations which i don't know that everyone knows but i'll always say it to friends the first question you have to ask yourself is does the movie need me or do i need the movie Uh and it's clear generally all the time there's a real answer to that either you'd be lucky to get in the movie and the movie itself will lift you or the movie needs to be lifted by you once you know that you kind of know what your leverage leverage is yeah and then without being egomaniacal you should then try to attempt to assess a real reason you deserve X, Y, or Z. And I think you're right. When you know it and you feel good about it and you've recognized, no, the movie needs me, it's a very easy negotiation. And if it blows up, you don't care because you already decided that.
2: And you can see your mindset is entirely different, how you approach them, how you speak to them. It's not emotional.
0: That's right. Another thing is, I know an attorney who's gotten some deals that just no one had ever heard of, and you couldn't imagine someone getting And I said to him, what is the secret? And he said, well, data first. You really want as much information as you can get. But beyond that you really have to identify what the emotional component is. In any deal, there's going to be many points. And if you can figure out what point is the emotional one for them, and you can give them that, you can generally get the other things. And I thought that was really insightful. That's brilliant. Yeah. I mean, you have to be somewhat of an empath or something to be able to recognize what someone's emotional point is. And there are always emotional factors for sure. Someone might be willing to be generous, but then there's a point where it's like, well, now you're making me look foolish. What is that line where they would feel foolish is important. Okay, where are we at here? This is a blast. You have a chapter on personality and mental health. Find out whether anyone you meet, a potential hire, blind date, or new babysitter has an easygoing and agreeable nature or is a force of nature just waiting to be unleashed. I would say right out of the gates, this is probably a delicate topic in that, could we say blanketly, we don't want to have relationships with people with certain mental health issues, like borderline personality disorder. I think if you enter in one of those, you will ultimately be the villain in that person's life.
2: So I don't disagree. Having said that, I do know that people with borderline can and do have successful relationships with proper therapy and medication. And quite recently, there are a lot of new developments in terms of personality disorders, borderline being one of them. Granted, anyone that knows someone with a borderline, it is tough or narcissistic personality disorder or histrionic or antisocial, which is obviously the most challenging is a sociopath or psychopath.
0: Okay. What percentage of the population is sociopathic? Do you think we all have sociopathic friends we don't know we have? You do. (laughs) I I think that's a good guess. I don't think I do. Uh, No,
2: You know, the stats are startling. I don't believe the stats. I'll tell you what they are. One out of 25. I think that is startlingly high. The challenge also, by the way, when you talk about personality disorders, the overlap, the diagnostic tools that are used to evaluate it. If people really knew just how flawed the system was. The DSM. Yeah, it was created in order to bill insurance. That's what it comes down to. If you can't classify, something, then you can't bill insurance. So right. you have to classify. The classification does good to an extent, but relying on it and using it as some sort of Bible is
0: insanity. Yeah, 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 I agree. It's good and it's very flawed.
2: You could read through that and go, that's me, that's me, that's me. It's so easy to find yourself in these They're like horoscopes. Uh, Yes, right, exactly right, open to interpretation. And also that's just it, is the diagnostician, the person actually doing it, he may have one evaluation where somebody else is gonna have a different one. So I always tell people, by the way, if you're diagnosed with a personality, but certainly before you start taking medication, get a second opinion because they're just wrong too often.
0: You can imagine why that's a challenge. Most people have a hard enough time getting to the first person. Yes. I'm I like know. pretty sympathetic to that. I know, but the challenge is
2: when you get into the field of medication and the side effects. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Medication can be life saving, and people who need it should take it.
0: Stay tuned for more Armchair Expert if you dare. We are supported by New Balance. Whether you're going for your first ever jog around the park, getting ready for a marathon, or even picking up the pace on the last stretch before you get home, if you run, you're a runner. Whether you need shoes for comfort, stability, or race day speed, they've got you covered. Because the only right way to run is your way. New Balance. Run your way. Visit newbalance.com running to learn more. Okay, when did paying someone back become social media? What do you mean? Well, let's just say I'm a weirdo and I want to be messy and see what you're up to, like who you're hanging with. I can just stalk your pay app and find out what you're doing.
1: I knew you did that.
0: (laughs) No, I did not do that. I don't do that. I use Apple Cash. It's built into your iPhone, easy and secure. You can send and receive money right in messages and keep it between friends and then use that money any place Apple Pay is accepted.
1: Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash?
0: Monica, please keep it in the chat. (laughs) Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. We are supported by Taco Bell. Oh,
1: man. We often... Do two recordings a day, and we have this little nice lunch break that we enjoy. And we're always craving something really yummy. Yes,
0: yeah, something fresh, something high quality, something like the all new Cantina chicken menu from Taco Bell, which is mm. exactly that.
1: Mm. It's so yummy. It has slow roasted chicken, the pico, that purple cabbage, and an avocado verde salsa sauce. Oh, delicious.
0: Outrageous. The new Cantina Chicken Tacos, Burrito, and Quesadilla are the perfect daytime choice. Try the new Cantina Chicken menu at Taco Bell now. Back to sociopaths. Let's yeah. say it's not one in 25. Let's say it's one in a hundred. The point would be yeah. is we do interact with sociopaths. We do. And, and we, they're incredibly yeah. empathetic. Well, they feign
2: empathy. Their ability to empathize is corrupted. They don't because again, when a person is absorbed in their own stuff, there's no room for anyone else. But they are masters of deception because they are so practiced at putting on a show, on a facade. They know how real people should act. One of the tells, by the way. And they're good at
0: recognizing what you want to hear. in like, that. Course, part, they are empathetic. They know your state of mind and they can give you the thing you want.
2: Right, so I would draw the distinction so far as you're right, but empathy is feeling someone else's pain. They're not feeling the pain. They're able to understand what it is that you want in a manipulative way, give you that, but make no mistake, they're not going home going, I can't believe this person's suffering with this. They're not absorbed in your stuff at all. They use it. And one of the most difficult things to understand about a sociopath is that they literally have no conscience. And knowing that people walk around without a conscience scares the daylight side of any reasonable person. Of course. Right? So we'd like to think that, no, they're really good people. They just had a tough this or that. And they really do care deep down. No, a person who suffers with genuine sociopathy is void- of conscience and they will do and act completely and only in their own self-interest. They don't feel fear the way we do. Mm-hmm. So they act without compunction, without reservation, without hesitation, they are scary. And knowing what to watch out for with them is obviously very valuable. I spent a chapter talking about it because it's one thing to get taken advantage of by someone who's you know maybe a little bit of a narcissist, someone who's a little bit egocentric, but an outright sociopath, your life can be at stake.
0: How does one recognize they're dealing with a sociopath?
2: So there are a number of markers to pay attention to. One is believe nothing of what they say. Mm -hmm. meaning that it's too easy to get sucked into the story. Sociopaths have no real genuine friendships or relationships. That is a strong marker. You know, people who are not sociopaths that don't have good relationships also, but their inability to connect. So they will be friends with the world, but close to nobody.
0: Ooh, Ooh. okay. So that's That's a distinction I can latch onto. So they have a lot of acquaintances.
2: No real genuine friendships, their own relationships, be it with their parents or with siblings, everything is strained, fractured. And certainly it's never their fault. It's everybody else's fault. They act in their own best interest. They'll play the long game sometimes. They'll do something. Oh, you're so good. You dropped off on the way to the restaurant to go ahead and to do this. And you'll hear these acts of kindness dripped into conversation. But when push comes to shove and there's really something at stake and there's no benefit for them, they are gone.
1: And how's that different from narcissism? Is it just more extreme?
2: Someone who has a narcissistic personality disorder, I tell people is that a narcissist is not somebody who won't do everything you want them to do. Right. People always say, you know, my boy is just a narcissist. It's like, no, the fact that he's not picking up his laundry doesn't make him a narcissist. Right, right. He's exactly. lazy. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 All these people, by the way, suffer with pervasive low self-esteem. Yeah. Mm. So you're just talking about an ego that's dominant. And they all want, by the way, connection. And the surrogate to connection is control which is why they all have control at the core of their go-to for manipulation. They need to control the relationship, they need to be in charge, and sometimes they're so clever at it. So a narcissist is somebody who's entirely perception-oriented. Their world is about how they are seen, Because again, if self-esteem and the ego inversely related, the less self-esteem I have, the bigger the image and the more image conscious they're going to become. Got it. Now, we all engage in what's called impression management. We manage our perception. You know, we want people to see us a certain way, but the narcissist will twist and contort and turn and shift in order to accommodate people's perception to such an extent that they lose themselves. And they're completely self-absorbed that only their own wants and needs are paramount. It's what I need. It's not that they're bad people. They are just so... Esconced in their own pain. You get a toothache, everyone else's problems go out of the window. You just can't deal with anything. So imagine a person who's in intense emotional pain. They just can't establish that connection because they're absorbed in their own pain, but they have a conscience. They still feel bad
0: Mm -hmm. when they hurt somebody. There's sadness that they're lonely. They know they're not connected. That's right. The sociopath in contrast,
2: there's no conscience. There's no need for companionship, connection. Make no mistake, they have needs that they want satisfied, but they're not interested in a
0: genuine connection. Right. Mm-hmm. And they don't feel the lack of the they connection. They don't feel the lack of. It's interesting,
2: there's some recent studies that show maybe there are some embers, but suffice yeah. it to say, generally speaking, they are void of connection. So again, if our biggest fear is disconnection, that's one reason why they don't have fear is because you can't do anything to me.
0: Uh huh. Okay, the very last one I want to talk about, because I think it's our great obsession on here, is the narrative. So people's stories. We talk about this a lot. If you have a story you're telling yourself, you generally only look for data that confirms that story, and you generally ignore all conflicting data. I do it. So I think this is really crucial. In fact, we encourage people to ask themselves what story they're telling themselves and then what is the outcome of that? What are you going to miss because of the story? But I've never really even thought about how vital it is that you know what someone else's story is.
2: When you know their story, you know what they think, what they believe. You also know their points of sensitivity, that third rail to stay away from in conversation. You know what their vulnerabilities are. You also know how they see the world and what's important to them, their values. So everyone's got their story. The more aware we are of our story, the healthier we are. Because we know it's just that, it's a story. We make up in order to feel more secure. And then as you said, through cognitive bias or heuristics, we take mental shortcuts. And if I need to believe that the world is out to get me, I'm only going to pick up those cues in my environment that reinforce that because I'm looking for cohesion. I'm looking for consistency and congruency with what it is I believe. I will dismiss everything else. You're
0: basically a terrible scientist. You have a hypothesis and you're not looking at any data that doesn't support the hypothesis that's right you are terrible scientists because you're not
2: open to anything new you're only looking to something that confirms your own biases
0: yeah and you can see where this would easily materialize in. and you'd be better at showing me an employee and all these other areas but i of course just would maybe think romantically it's like if you sit down on a first date with somebody and you hear that everyone always does blank to me this always happens to me you'd have to be honest enough to say, despite what you may provide, it's somehow gonna get funneled into that story, that you're never gonna be stronger than that person's story. If everyone always takes advantage of me, guess what? You too will be someone that took advantage of You'll the person. Asked, yeah, It's too much to compete with. If yeah. it's counter to
2: what you're after, I guess. Of course, and you can show this person reality. I share with you one of my favorite anecdotes, and it's this guy who wakes up thinking he's a zombie. Turns to his wife and says, honey, I'm a zombie. She said, You're not a zombie. Go back to bed. He said, I'm telling you, I'm a zombie. So she said, I'm gonna get your mother on the phone. Now you think this would be enough to shake any guy into reality. You no know <laughs> dice, gets mom on the phone. Mom says, What's the problem? Son says, I don't have a problem. Mother says, Well, I hear you think you're a zombie, sweetheart. He says, No, mom, I know I'm a zombie. <laughs> so they go down to the psychiatrist. <laughs> psychiatrist. <laughs> psychiatrist says, Let me ask you a question. You think you're a zombie? Now the guy's just getting exacerbated. I know I'm a zombie doc. Doc says, let me ask you a question. Do zombies bleed? Guy said, Of course we don't bleed. We are the undead. Psychiatrist says, Okay. He goes over to his desk drawer and takes out a pen, walks over to the guy, takes the finger and goes. Guy's staring at amazement at his finger four or five minutes complete silence and finally looks up and he says, well, what do you know? Zombies do bleed.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah,
2: Right. We will twist and contort. We all know people, they will twist and contort the facts in order to accommodate their own personal narrative. It doesn't matter what we do. Mm -hmm. It's what we should have done. It's what we didn't say, how we said, what we should have said, when we didn't say what they wanted to hear. You're right. There's no winning against that narrative.
1: So then what do we do?
2: You know, I ever speak to somebody that doesn't speak English and you think if you just articulate clearly enough and enunciate it's and use enough. gestures, like right, can you? So when you're speaking to somebody, you're knocking on the door, nobody's home. You bang your head against the door, nobody's home. It's just an emotional infrastructure. There's no one to reason with. We think that if we just present a clear argument, then they're going to come to the only logical conclusion. Yeah. The best thing to do is to enter their space. What they ultimately need, a person like this, without pathologizing, is to be understood. Mm-hmm. And what we do is the exact opposite. We invalidate the experience. We say, you're crazy or some form of that, and we all know how those conversations go. As long as they're telling you and selling you on their narrative story, they're never gonna relax. They're never gonna drop the shield. So the best way to get in that stealth and get past that shield is by empathizing, letting them know you really understand their pain, validating, which has nothing to do with right and wrong. Validation simply means based on your experience, based on your perception, I get why this is painful for you. That yeah. is so cathartic when a person gets that you understand. Yeah. When they understand that you know their pain, they drop the shield. That's when you can help them to see from a different perspective. But a person can't put on your glasses until they take off their own. Yeah. And they're not gonna take off their own
0: while they're still in pain. Okay, two things. One, this is the exact paradigm our politics is just painfully locked into. No one's making any effort to go, I can totally understand why you're afraid of that. That's scary. Yeah. There's like a hack within AA, which is you would never tell somebody that they're right or wrong. It's just kind of off the table. Yeah. But what you can do is tell your own story and how you got out of that. We're not talking about you now. Often what happens is someone's like, I relate to that story because it's not an attack. I think that's another way to help people through their stories is just recognize when you've had your own story that's similar and then just tell that story honestly. And perhaps the theme or the moral arises without your ever up challenging theirs.
2: That is exactly why group therapy can be so effective when one-on-one fails is because when I hear someone else's story, I don't have to defend it. My ego's not engaged. It's It's not about me. That's right. I depersonalize it. This is their stuff, but I can see myself in them without that guard up.
0: Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's the only thing that has ever broken through to me because I'm super hard-headed and a defensive and the only thing I've ever learned is by someone talking not to me, but just in front of me. Right. Oh my God. Okay, Dr. David Lieberman. Mind reader, the new science of deciphering what people really think, what they really want, and who they really are. I could talk to you for 7 hours about this. I think there's so Very many incredibly interesting facets to us people. And good thing for the listener, we only really went over about 4 of the 20 chapters. Mm. So if you are interested in this line of inquiry as I am, I encourage you to get Mind Reader. Thanks so much for coming. It was a blast. Thank you Dax, Monica, thank you Robbie. Thank you so much. And now my favorite part of the show, the fact check with my soulmate, Monica Padman. Oh, Oh God, we just had a guest who was super persuasive. He was so cute and charming, too. He's a philosophy professor. He's a
1: real-life cheaty. Real-life cheaty.
0: Yeah. Fucking great organization, and he just got us to donate money. And we were just saying how painful morality is. Everyone got zinged on that one. Everyone will hear this, but, you know. I decided willy-nilly that I was going to donate money, and then I kind of, I fucked you over, Monica. Well, I was, I was going uh, Yeah, th- no, quite, um, that's not what I'm saying. No, but yeah. I, I, there was just, it had already come up earlier in the interview, so it was a perfect way to fuck you, because yeah. we were talking about your shirt. Yeah. <laughs> and I have to imagine at that point, Rob was like, oh,
2: fuck. He's about to go to the
0: bathroom.
1: <laughs> oh, my God. Rob, you're so greedy. Yeah. <laughs> He's human.
0: Oh. I can relate. I didn't want to give any money. Yeah,
1: and being human's greedy. I know. I'm greedy. So,
0: I'm greedy. Greedy. Well, I'm not even a greedy little pig. I'm greedy big pig. <laughs> <you> <laughs> I'm um, disgusting.
1: No, I already. I haven't even paid yet. And <sighs> I already feel great.
0: Oh wow. Yeah. I, I like
1: just, spending money.
0: Yeah, you. Well, and you. You and Kristen have this in common. Like you do get a, a charge out of donating I do. money. And we donate a bunch of money throughout the year. But even when I've signed up on my own, I don't get the, like, bump. I get a bump when I help someone individually. I don't get that...
1: Yeah, I don't doesn't know. Do it that doesn't you.
0: charge me up. Like yeah. it really charges you guys up.
1: Yeah, like I have a life goal of starting a scholarship fund. <laughs> there
0: you go. And and I've s- paid for someone's college. I
1: know. That's what and I'm it saying. felt
0: awesome, and yeah. I got such a thrill out of it. Yeah. But I, it wasn't like I I got to do this for a hundred strangers. People. Yeah, I get. Yeah. All.
1: Well, I think I'm in between you two. Yeah,
0: yeah. On everything virtually. Yeah,
1: I mostly get a high giving to people in my world.
0: Yes, me too.
1: But. I still get a nice bump when yeah. it's um strangers or people who I'm really like they need help like I want to be part of that.
0: The ultimate high for me is not even giving somebody something, it's being a part of someone getting it themselves.
1: Yeah, I do like that. But I went to Ace's dance class yeah. last week. It was so cute. And you
0: dance or you just watch?
1: No, no, I just watched. Okay. Um and I wanna
0: see that. He's a fucking great he's dancer. He's so
1: good. He's yeah. Okay, so he's the best in the class normally, and it's like by far. So anyway, Erica drops him off, and then he, she goes next door and has a breakfast burrito. So mm-hmm. I met her for the breakfast burrito. There we go. And then for the end, so there, you're allowed to come back for the very end
0: and, and watch. spy.
1: Exactly. So you're not
0: distracted during the learning. Yes,
1: yeah. and so they like show everyone their dance. And at the very end after they all do the dance, the teacher like picks one of this like best students okay. and they dance so- together solo in front of everyone. The
0: teacher and the student.
1: Yes, oh and God. it's always Ace. Okay. Okay, but this time it was this other girl okay. and she was really good and she was so cute. And as soon as we left, Ace was like, that girl is really good. Like he felt competitive. Way. Yes. Yep. Yes. And he told Erica, like, she takes privates, so I, I really want to take oh, privates. Right. And then I, Erica said to Charlie, Oh, now Ace wants to take privates. Yeah. And I was like, How much are they? And gets like 125 or something. She was yeah. like, That's crazy. Anyway, so then when I got home, I was like, Can I please donate to the Ace
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like 10, Ten classes.
1: Yeah, just see yeah, if let's he do likes it. Well, let's see if he likes it. <laughs> Serious. No, I know. you're right. Because he might be like, I actually hate this. Yeah,
0: it's too intimate.
1: And she seemed like she was willing to take me up yeah, on yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I, I hope she does because I like that feeling. Notes? Of course.
0: I think the move would have been to approach the teacher and say, Can we do a oh. gift card for 10 privates? That way she doesn't have to be involved in saying yes or no. It just shows up and it's paid for and it's like. What am I gonna do? Return tell them no?
1: Yeah, that would have been This good. is
0: going forward. I man. didn't
1: think about that. Because there's so much um
0: So many moving there's parts. so much
1: logistics with privates. Yes, yes. You get yes. the person's phone number. It's like yeah. it's not doesn't feel like it's through the studio, but even though it is.
0: Yeah, I feel you.
1: Like I don't know if I could have gotten a, I guess I could have just paid the guy.
0: That's right. Yeah. yeah. You would have just said like Well you can ask Ace who gives her privates.
1: Yeah, we already know. That's name.
0: a dangerous term when I just said it that way. Who gives her privates?
1: <laughs> I really love to pay for Aces uh, privates. How much for
0: me to pay for your privates? Ten <laughs> Erica, of your privates. I re-
1: I'm just like, can, can I please pay for Aces privates?
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I know it's rough. Anyway, this is David Lieberman.
0: Yes. Mind reader. Mind reader. Yes. 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 I hit David with a few novel experiences. You did. One, being an interview who nude it up in front of him Yep. Ap- immediately upon meeting him. Yep. Number two, dipping. He was gobsmacked by that activity.
1: He was. I'll be honest. I've been waiting for that from somebody. For somebody I to- really <laughs> have. Like, there's so many moments where I'm kind of like looking a little bit at you, like, it's, oh God, someone's definitely going <laughs> to. Say something, and no one has. This was a first. I'm shocked. Well, I'm as shocked as he was.
0: Yes, but let's paint. A well-rounded context one is i'm intermittent with it so it's not like the last 400 guests have watched me dip.
1: that is true it's
0: i'm streaky right so like i didn't dip in europe for three weeks because that was my agreement with lincoln yeah now i'm dipping till the end of the motorhome trip and then yeah. i got to do a month off so it's not like all people didn't say anything
1: that's true it's
0: some that's percentage right. but you're right even with the percentage
1: it's 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 a lot, though. Yeah, it is.
0: It is. And wouldn't you agree that over Zoom, it's probably they're not quite clear what's going on. Yes. What is he? Why is he holding that thing? I don't think it's obvious. Like, I think I tuck it in pretty quickly. No one really. I don't know. I can see you like on Zoom. You're just not knowing, But when you're here on the couch and you watch me do the whole the whole ritual, you're you know what just happened. And you know what I'm doing with that extra jug? I'm going to be spitting in it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I think that's true on Zoom, it would be harder to tell.
0: But I do think it bodes well for our guests. In general, I think a lot of our guests come from somewhat of a blue collar world where <laughs> not, this is. Not no. all. Okay, yeah, some <laughs> people are just, they don't wanna make me uncomfortable. Yeah,
1: I think that's what is happening, Yeah, which is nice.
0: Look, yeah, I mean, I don't know how people feel about it. I'm not making them put it in their mouth and there's no, no, there's no fumes in the air, so there's no like contact, I have no moral issue with doing I it. don't
1: have a moral issue with you yeah. doing it either.
0: Objectively, it's gross. I but to me, it's not that gross. So it's I hard know. for me to...
1: Well, this is what's tricky. When you're around it, it starts getting... If I was doing someone's podcast and they If did. I was doing Brad Pitt's podcast
0: Okay, when you do Brad Pitt's podcast Yeah, under
1: it. our umbrella Yeah um, And oh, he
0: so very self-serving, but go and, ahead Of course Produced yeah. by Ravikrin
1: <laughs> No, but, produced yeah. by Armchair Expert <laughs> I got Brad Pitt, okay he If he starts pulling out some dip mm-hmm. I am not gonna be grossed out Because I'm so used to you doing that And yeah. I don't think you're gross Have Oh,
0: you, he's from Missouri, he's from Michigan Yeah, yeah I would just be like,
1: oh that's white. what boys in my life what, do, I guess. Yeah, this is
0: what white boys do.
1: But I, if I had no experience with, like, if I'm trying to think of what someone would do, that would gross me
0: out. Shoot dope.
1: Okay, that <laughs> wouldn't gross me out. That would be like, <laughs>
0: tss, uh. although Panic that is inducing. that is
1: kind of the reaction he had.
0: He did, yes. Scared. Hmm. Yeah. Concern for me. I think too. Now I'm really guessing too much about, I don't know what this guy was thinking, but I also think cognitive dissonance, like this is an educated guy who's wealthy. This is not what those people do. Yeah. Which is part of why I like. I I, I know. know, It's one of my justifications why I continue to do it is like.
1: Keeps you real. Well,
0: sure. (laughs) Keeps you grounded.
1: (laughs) No, that's, I mean, I really it's get part that.
0: part of it, I've got to be honest. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you're right. This is not what people like me, quote, do. And that's kind of why. It's I, like um, when I stood in line for that sweatshirt. Yes.
1: This I'm, is me. Uh,
0: in my cockles. This is me. Yeah. I got to tell you, I had some anxiety. Before we interviewed him.
1: You did? I did. Because you thought he was going to just read you? Right.
0: I thought, well, I let's put it this way. I, as open as I am, I would never do this thing they do on the Howard Stern show where it's like they bring the guys in from the back, from the stable of writers and stuff, and they hook them up to a polygraph. Oh. Uh, I wouldn't put myself in that situation. Yeah. You know, there's of things course. I've done that were illegal when I was an addict that I, you know, I'm yeah. not. I tell you at a dinner party, but I'm not trying to, you know, you what I'm can saying? have
1: some pieces. Uh, yes. Yeah.
0: So I would never get hooked up to a polygraph on this show and let someone just open fire on me. I just yeah. wouldn't do it. And then similarly, I thought, you know, if this guy at any point wants to start grilling me about something, uh. I do think he knows enough of the clues that he could be real-time
1: assessing.
0: Yes, which is, and then became its own challenge because I'm really cocky and arrogant in that I don't think I can get out maneuvered in that kind of situation. Sure. Weirdly, I was afraid he was gonna do this to me and I ended up kind of doing it to him.
1: Yeah,
0: And I love this. There's the podcast, there's the show we're making mm-hmm. and it's on this topic and there's fun info. But anytime something real's happening in the room that is an added layer or component, I'm always awake. I like right. that. For it's you- happened in here a handful of times. Oh yeah,
1: but for you, that was you Delving into his past.
0: Yes. Who he felt so deceived by. Why dedicate your life to figuring out? If you look at the title of his books, as many of them are about how to not not get deceived as there are how to deceive virtually. How to manipulate people in your life to do what you want them to do. Regardless, to have dedicated one's life to both of those requires an explanation for me.
1: When you asked it. It's mm. not new, we ask everyone who comes on this show that. It was a normal question um, for us, but yeah. it did turn a little because he obviously wasn't expecting that question. Nope. And also maybe in he, what seems odd, but but has never thought about that question.
0: And is very smart enough to recognize I should have an answer for that. Yeah. So like that was the other component is like full awareness yeah. in the moment boy, if I don't give an answer to this, I'm gonna maybe lose credibility or something. Mm, Yeah. It almost, so you're right. It's a question I ask everybody. So I wasn't-
1: You weren't trying to trick him or something. No, I wasn't
0: like uniquely challenging him. It's our standard question. Yet once it was underway, it felt like I was interrogating him or something.
1: Yeah, it did.
0: Yes, (laughs) so I don't know. It was just interesting and I enjoyed it. Yeah. I hope he did. It was an awesome conversation. Yeah, well, well, then the other fun thing that happened, yeah. so we're getting into it, is that I had asked you to stop asking a question. We cut all that. Oh, you did? Yeah,
1: we can talk about it, though. Well,
0: I was just gonna say, we sat down and we just launched into all this stuff, and then I got a little concerned that we were jumping to the end of where I hoped we'd get to, so yes. I asked you to stop asking a question, kind of abruptly. I was like, oh, can you?
1: I said, "Okay. Oh, oh, can I say one more thing? And then you said... You said actually no Can, because I want to
0: frame this yes. and then and then ask and then so I did that and then I came back to you and I thought I had set everything up enough for that to happen and I, and then I said what do you want to ask your question and you're like no it doesn't make any sense anymore which I'm sure in a courtroom you were right yeah like you were probably right
1: because it actually wasn't a question
0: it was a further. It coloring of was, yes. the topic that I shut down.
1: It, well, no, just that I don't want to say you shut it down, but it would have made no sense to bring it back up and then just like, okay, now moving on again. Like Yes. It, and, and I'll take responsibility. I I would have felt very stupid.
0: If you brought it back up. Yes. Okay, right, right, right. The point is I only lay out any of that or behind the scenes enough BTS. to say that I said, okay, but I know you so well. Yeah. I know you, I respond to your... I forget the terms, but they talk about how people communicate chemically. Yeah. Right? Like, we know each other so well. Molecularly. Yes. Like, I don't think I need to look at you. I think your body, I mean, literally, I don't know any of this, but I think your body releases smells that (laughs) I (laughs) smell and know, you know, like when when animals are scared, they let off. Whatever it was, 10 minutes later, I knew.
1: I was upset. You were upset. Yeah.
0: And so I checked back in with you and I'm like, are you sure you're not upset? I want to make sure I, you know. I, really, my goal was to apologize for whatever. If you were upset and I could have apologized and made it better, I, that was my thing. And you go, no, rightly so. You're like, I don't want to fucking derail. We don't de- need to do this right now. The- Yes, yeah. we don't need to do this right now. <laughs> yeah. And I don't need to derail this. So you you just said like, no, no, everything's fine. And I didn't believe you, but I know you so well. But then he goes, he just blasted out like three of the things that would be in his book.
1: Yeah, arms crossed. I mean, they uh, were all right.
0: They're generic, but at the same time, uh, any other guest really wouldn't have, is my point.
1: I wonder, though. I mean, I think part of what's awesome about this space and this room and this show is there is a lot happening between us That's very obvious to the guest. Like, Uh whether it's like Uh, 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 affection, whether it's like
0: resentment,
1: whatever's happening between us is apparent.
0: Yes. Like, it's out there,
1: whether we're trying to conceal it or not. There's
0: no place to hide in this room.
1: Yeah, I think people know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, he knew, but it was also obvious. You asked a million times what was wrong. And I was like, it's fine. Move on, move on. Yeah.
0: We also subtweet each other, which is great.
1: What's that mean? I
0: always use this term and I don't think it's as popular or ubiquitous as I think it is. But subtweeting would be like, you know, fuck, uh, hate using this example but it'll make the most sense, like Will smacks Chris Rock that day Uh and you then tweet, I know whenever I feel emasculated I just reach out and blah, blah, blah. So you don't say you're referencing Will, you Uh, don't tag Will, you don't tag Chris Rock. But we all know you're talking about a specific oh, yes. person, <laughs> yeah. right? So we subtweet each other all the time when we have experts on. It's like any long-term fight we've been having or debate. If they say 100%. something that yes, and we'll even we'll <laughs> ask them a question that will set up that the other person was wrong, so they can hear <laughs> yes from an expert. Oh my god! Right? So we're both really so guilty. Yeah, yeah, we both do that. I think, we, or at yeah. least I know I do. it. I do
1: it. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. I also know uh, when you're doing it and you yeah, know when I'm doing it. That's I'm right. Sure. And,
0: and I have to imagine armcherries also know when we're doing it. Like, the I don't think the guest knows, but I definitely know us well enough and they know the last four and a half years and I'm they sure know yeah. too. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. I mean, of course, I can always think of the ones you did to me less than the ones I did to you. But one was like, we had, oh, I think it was Josh Brolin on maybe. And he was talking about deciding people's intentions. And then you said yeah. something like, well, I just want to say, and you're talking to him, right? You're you're talking to Josh and you're like uh, oh, you I might said, be it's not wrong. Fair. What it's you're not doing is not to the, fair to those people, right? And that was clearly a comment to It me. was. Yes, yeah. of course. And of I course. and I do think <laughs> that arm cherries get that. I think they pick on up. They on might. That. Yeah, yeah, I think so.
1: Okay, to be fair, I was talking about you for sure. Yes. But it wasn't like I was like, where can I find a spot? It just. <laughs> yeah, I
0: don't think it was calculated. No, it was at sitting all. right there on a platter.
1: Well, I felt it. I was like, ugh, these yeah. men. Yes. These yes, yes, men. Yes, yes. It's so unfair.
0: Yes. And I often hear an expert describing a personality type, and I go, that's Monica. Right? It's the same thing. It's right there on a platter. So then I ask a follow-up question that's manipulative that you will hear.
1: Yeah. Uh, Right?
0: So all that to say- I wish we
1: were better. Well,
0: fuck it. I just am acknowledging that we do it. I certainly do it.
1: And just putting it out there, sometimes we're not doing that. So don't think that everything that comes out of our mouths is that because that will get very not
0: accurate. The point is- (laughs) I don't think the guest- Picks up on that. Almost ever knows.
1: But this was pretty overt.
0: And then so I think in general, I'm fine w- with my character defects or I'm at peace with them. But I did have the outside thought of like, what if he, what if he knows something I don't know? Yeah. Am I ready to hear that in this interview? <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> you know, am I totally. in the right
0: state of mind? To hear him point out something that I'm yeah. unaware of, because you gotta gotta be in the right state of mind. Like if I avail myself to a sponsor in AA or a fellow member of AA, that's kind of the contract we we enter into. If I call you, I'm basically asking you're allowed to observe me and see what you've noticed yeah. and what I might be doing. But but if we haven't made that kind of little contract, I'm not sure how welcome I'm. Yeah, it. of course.
1: Well, normal. I can tell you how
0: fucking welcome when I see it in comments.
1: I hate it. I'm like, you don't
0: know me. I haven't asked you. Yes. Yeah. So I thought it could be a situation where he might, I might all of a sudden be like having to deal with something. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yeah.
0: I found it good. I found it um, jousty.
1: It was. It's a very fun interview. Anyway, are there long-term studies on caviar? (laughs) Six surprising health benefits of caviar.
0: Is this written by the Russian caviar industry? (laughs) (laughs) No. Okay. Healthline.com. Most trusted source.
1: Number one, a nutritional powerhouse. Uh, Even when served in small amounts, caviar boosts an impressive nutritional profile.
0: Omega-3s, baby.
1: Only 75 calories, seven grams of protein, (sighs) five grams fat, one gram carb. 236% 236% of your daily value of B12. Oh, fuck me. Yeah. 34% of daily value of selenium, mm. 19% iron, 18% sodium.
0: Wow. Caviar is very expensive, right? Yeah. I've, I've never purchased it. It is expensive. But should I start purchasing it for a superfood? Should I, I put it in my smoothie? I think
1: you'll hate it because it just tastes salty. It, there's no, There's no fish it, smell? No. It's got
0: a nice texture, too. Oh Both yeah, those, like a tapioca pudding. No, I kind think of? that's
1: what the part you won't love about no, it. Like, a, like pops.
0: Oh, like but then, and then not a fish smell. No, no, no. Both okay. those
2: fancy places in Chicago I went to okay. had like you got two some...
0: caviar Ooh, things on their tasting menu. Yeah. I did have it one time at French Laundry, oh. and it's called Diamonds and Pearls. It's a very famous dish. Their menu changes daily, but the one thing that's what well, they might have a couple, but one that stays around always is Diamonds and Pearls, and it's. Oysters and caviar, and I'm like, well, I hate both those. Let's see how this goes. And you had that. it, and I was like, oh my god, I could eat twelve of those. I it love just kind of went to of those show things. me like, what if you you could prepare shoelaces like the right <sighs> chef prepares oh. shoelaces? You're gonna eat all of them.
1: Okay, number two may reduce signs of skin aging. Mm. Okay, because rich in omega threes. Okay, and something about collagen. Sure. Three may improve brain and mental health. I'm gonna guess because of the Omega omegas. Three. Yeah. May promote heart health.
0: Omega three. Yep.
1: <laughs> I mean, it <laughs> is. is really just. A it's study. basically just pure yeah. omegas. So. Yeah. Oh my god! May improve male fertility.
0: Oh, even with a vasectomy.
1: May support your immune system.
0: May is a comforting word. <laughs>
1: well, like if you're ever can't. gonna
0: write a sentence that says "may" does something, don't even write it.
1: Well. They needed eight yeah. skin, brain, heart, immune. Those are these are great
0: cornerstones of health.
1: It's great for you.
0: Eat more caviar, <laughs> non-Russian caviar. Yeah, exactly.
1: OK, Dunning-Kruger effect comes up here.
0: I use it with a frequency <laughs> that could only make me guilty of the Dunning-Kruger effect.
1: <laughs> well, that's what I'm here for. OK, okay just so we have a little backstory, you know? Yeah cognitive bias whereby people with limited knowledge or competence in a given intellectual or social domain greatly overestimate their own knowledge or competence in that domain relative to objective criteria or to the performance of their peers or of people in general now it's named after psychologists david dunning and justin kruger
0: that kind of backfired by the way because now you associate i associate dunning kruger with blowhard's talking out of their ass. Yeah. And now their names are that. You think
1: they should have given it like names Uh, of their annoying uh, brothers?
0: Yeah, something.
1: Mm -hmm. The effect is explained by the fact that the metacognitive ability to recognize deficiencies in one's own knowledge or competence requires that one possesses at least a minimum level of the same kind of knowledge or competence, which dot, 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 I don't have Britannica com oh, subscription
0: okay well now you've spoken on it with limited knowledge <laughs> no, so you now too are not guilty. limited Guil, knowledge guilty like Lim, a it's whole limited.
1: paragraph worth
0: it's limited there was more okay Hence fine the dot, I'll, dot, I'll dot. get to
1: a different you know what you were som- hoisted
0: by your own petard
1: sometime, I was yep, and sometimes yes. you have to decide whether yeah. you're gonna do half of a uh, trusted brand, yeah, or all, all of a non-trusted brand. You know, like I, think you I chose try right. to, I try to I, mix and match. I
0: think that was a sufficient.
1: But you're right; it is limited because there's a lot on Wikipedia about it. Yeah, hmm. but there's also criticisms and alternatives on okay. here. Okay,
0: I don't want to know those because I want to keep using it yeah, with a lackluster <laughs> understanding of it, which then proves it. So I guess I do in using it, I'm proving it. Yep. What is comical and very Dunning Krugery about it is I almost. Primarily use it when talking to psychologists. So they really, they're the person in the room that knows a lot more about it than me. And I'm the one speaking on it.
1: Although in a future episode, you bring it up and the psychologist did not know. That's true. And she suffered from fluency flaw.
0: (laughs) Or some other bias.
1: (laughs) Fluency bias, that's right. Um, Okay. You said, is it a Seinfeld thing okay then to end a conversation say say okay then but
0: you know how the the episodes it might have evolved by the way i don't know if they they stayed this way but the, the episodes start with jerry's stand up yeah I wanna say he has a little routine oh, about, about that. when you say, okay then, and they don't take the bait, they just motor right on.
1: Well, I typed it in a few ways and I didn't couldn't I didn't, find it. I might have imagined Rob, it. Rob, I'm sure, is looking. But also, there's this interesting, um, okay then, scene from Fargo that I'll play.
0: It's with uh, Francis. Season DeGarman. two, season two. Oh, with the show.
1: Okay, then. He just got rid of a body. Okay, then. Noreen. Hmm? Ed's leaving. Okay, then. Oh, hey. May as well take these with you. Bully Hendrix
0: paid, but never picked them up. Chaps. Hmm. Wasted meat's a crime. There should be. Okay, then. Okay, then. Okay, then. <laughs> <laughs> that was cute. <laughs> yeah.
1: Anywho, um, okay, that's that. And you're going on a big vacation. Hog, 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 hog. hog. <laughs> Big Brown.
0: And well, we'll be coming to you live from Big Brown throughout yes. the next few weeks.
1: I'm very excited
0: for that. Um, and you're going Glenn, to Espanol.
1: Yes, in 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 a few weeks.
0: Okay. Well, we'll cross that bridge over the pond when we come to that's it. That's right. All right. I love you. I love you. Subtweet you you later.